You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. excited to talk about this past week's episode with Chris talking about, you know, his path to fight as a dirtbag millionaire, but also really something that is personally relevant for us. The release of our book, Choose FI, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. The pre-order went live and it's going to be hitting bookshelves all across the country and the world on October 1st, 2019. There's a lot behind why we felt that this project was important. And we're going to slow down on that and talk about it in this episode as well. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I am doing quite well. And yeah, I'm actually, uh, I, I say that very specifically because we've had this. Uh, <laughs> you are actually quite well. <laughs> I actually am well, which is uh, a little perilous right now because my wife, who is basically a superhuman and never gets sick, has like the worst sore throat of her entire life. And Molly, my younger daughter, has been sick for a bunch of days. And the reason why this is so important, other than the fact that I kind of talk in a podcast and need my voice, is that you and I are doing three days of video recording this week. And we have Zach flying in from Seattle to help us. And it's a big deal. And I just cannot come down with a sore throat. So I've been like the worst husband ever. I've been trying to be nice as much as I possibly can, but stay away from me, you sick human being. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Like carrying around like Lysol. (laughs) Spraying her with Windex occasionally. (laughs) (laughs) Please stay away. (laughs) But no, wash, washing my hands a hundred times a day. But other than that, everything is quite well for right now. But yeah, the, the video, let's talk about that for just a second. So we do, we have Zach and my brother, Andrew, is actually going to be here. And then Stephen is coming to join us as well. And Stephen, who's been a part of the Choose of I community basically since day one, and who actually in a very cool way is helping us both with the nonprofit foundation, which we'll be talking about uh, a little bit more this year, and also a curriculum for the military. Uh, he's coming down, and we're going to try to take some of the the basic tenets of financial independence, the pillars of FI, and weave it into a multi-part video series. And it's a big project, man. I think all of us kind of were waiting until we had certain production elements in place so we can make sure we did a good job on this. Absolutely do it right and make sure it comes together. And it's funny, Brad, we've talked about the need to kind of be intentional with your planning. And I, I think I may have uh, failed a little bit on kind of organizing busy, you know, in a perfect world, you have just a little bit going on all the time, not everything going on all at once. And and that seems to be with a lack of planning. That seems to be what happens. So I, um, I, I have something really cool that I was planning on doing this weekend. I was going to be replacing the tile in my bathroom. And I say I, because it was going to be a DIY job. And there were a couple aspects to that one. I happened to be at Lowe's picking up a part and I saw on their whiteboard that uh, they were offering free classes for how to lay tile down, which that's amazing, right? I mean, this is the sort of thing that you're like, well, how can I get experience doing this or how how expensive will it be to hire someone and bring it in? I mean, if you can learn like a simple skill set like that, how cool is it that you can just look at different things in your home and say, I can do that now. That's no problem. And then how cool is it to then be able to walk up and down the aisles at your local home renovation store and say, 
okay, this project just got cheap because the expensive part was not the actual product, but it was the labor, right? Yeah, it definitely is always the labor. Do you have any sense of, uh, of what it would have cost you to hire out? I mean, probably a small bathroom job, just guessing, but it's probably around at least a thousand dollars, I would imagine. I mean, I, I, you know, if it takes two or three days, uh, it'd probably be maybe even upwards of that. But in this case, just because I was talking about, I want to do this tile class. I was talking about it with a friend. He's like, well, I actually fix and flip houses and I am, I'm awesome at that, that exact thing. And I tell you what, how about we, I just come over to your house and we'll just make a project of a Saturday and I will just help you do it. So not only am I, you know, just because I was talking about wanting to do this DIY class, he was like, dude, I can just, I can just help you with that. So we're going to, he's going to teach me how to lay tile down and we're going to make a Saturday of it. It's going to be amazing. And so I'm, I'm really excited about just kind of getting, being able to do this both as kind of a community event. Right. And at the same time, um, learn this new skill set. I feel like uh, just learning how to use a tile saw takes my skills to that next level, right? Gamification, done. <laughs> level up, Jonathan. Very nice. Yeah, that's really, really cool. It's neat that those classes are offered, period. And then obviously this will be a lot better for you getting the one-on-one with, with a buddy of yours, but good for you, man. Yeah, so how much do you think this is going to cost you all in just for the tile and whatever other kind of supplies you need to buy? Well, because I don't need the tile saw in this case, I just quite literally needed to buy the tile, something called, I think it's called May Plastic. I'll have to go double check that. And then the grout, right? So it's the adhesive and then the grout for the tile work. And I spent just barely over $100. And it's a small bathroom, but I mean, this thing will trans absolutely transform it. It's kind of cool to be able to look at these rooms in your house, like if the house was built in the 70s or 80s, and just realize that you can put in just a couple hundred dollars and essentially add several thousand dollars worth of value to that particular area of your house. Yeah, Jonathan, that's great. So obviously you'll add a couple thousand dollars to the value of your home if you subscribe to those kind of things and and just spend oh, a tiny I little- subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> The HD TVification of, uh, of, of America. <laughs> HD TV <But>, advocate. <laughs> yep, there you go. So speaking of kind of saving money, I, I think it was last week in the roundup, we had someone who sent an email about their cell phone plan, the MVNO, and it, it wound up saving them so much money that it was like four years in essence by repurposing that money, they got four years off their mortgage. And it, it just kind of got me thinking about looking at all my bills, even though we're the hosts of choose FI and we should be pretty good at this. I don't really look at my recurring bills as often as I'd like. There's a local company here in Richmond who has a, a real big national brand. It's compare.com. Evidently it's this marketplace where they can send out, I guess the little bit of information you put in and they send it out to dozens of different auto insurance companies and get you these quotes back. I think it took me like under a minute to get back a couple dozen quotes, which was pretty cool. One of the reasons we even found out about that is that our friend Ed, who works with us here at Choose If I, was looking for a lower auto insurance rate and tried this company and found a policy that would actually save him $15 a month for the exact same policy. And so we both went ahead and hopped in and got our quote. What's really cool is because I've been on this for a while, my rate was already like rock bottom low. I, I mean, I've just been convinced on this. I've been kind of staying on it. I have an uncle that used to work in auto insurance. So I, what I got was confirmation that my price was actually pretty good. But Brad, I know that you mentioned that you saw another policy on there, which kind of has like a different mechanism for like how it's priced. And it would have saved you probably like 30, 40 or 50 bucks a month. Yeah, it was actually, I think it was like 40% that I was going to save, which is really significant considering I just moved to Geico a couple of years ago and that was actually 
a pretty big reduction off of my old policy. So yeah, the way this one program worked is it's actually based on the number of miles that you drive in a given calendar year. And since Laura and I really don't drive all that much in the grand scheme of things, our insurance costs, I guess, you know, it kind of stands to reason they, they could and should be significantly lower. So I'm going to really investigate this because it's not something that's ever crossed my plate before, but spending a couple of minutes, putting my info in, getting these quotes back, really opened my eyes to an insurance product that I had no clue even existed in the world. So just as an intellectual exercise, it was pretty cool, Jonathan. And you know what this is, is you got to think about this kind of like a recruiter, right? Incentive alignment. This is a nonpartisan marketplace, like, but their only real incentive is to give you enough options and help you find something that costs less so that you will then make the jump. And if you have not looked at different prices, maybe this entire time, there's likely going to be some savings there for you. So anyways, with that being said, if you're interested, you want to get a quote for yourself and your family, you can just go to choosefi.com slash compare. Choosefi.com slash compare. Make that one of your action steps this week. So Brad, I thought we could take a few minutes and actually talk about the book release. Chris kind of did the setup in the episode. He messaged us and said, hey guys, you're doing the podcast that I wanted to do and I wanted to do it so that I could write a book about this community and about the common threads on this path to financial independence, <laughs> to which like our reply was, wow, we were just talking about this 48 hours ago. Huh, maybe we should just work on this together. And I don't think either of us appreciated how epically awesome Chris was on day one of this conversation, right? I mean, it's kind of like you're having this phone conversation. You haven't had a lot of communication before that. I think you had actually spoken with him once or twice, but as with many things, you know, we got to know each other better over the next six or seven months. And I remember when he gave us like his first draft, me and you realized, wow, we couldn't have put this together. Yeah, I mean, Chris is a legit author. And Jonathan, you and I had an idea to create a book like this. I can't imagine what the finished product would have been if, if we had to write a book. <laughs> Someone would be like, wow, that looks a lot like just a transcript. <laughs> it's so awesome. Podcasts. <laughs> it's <laughs> so awesome. Enjoy reading it. <laughs> no, but this is this is so much more than that. One of my favorite books when I was on my journey was uh, The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Back in the day, that really helped me get on a path to debt free. And as I kind of graduated past that and that information no longer really served me, I was kind of looking for something similar, but that it helps you map out those steps, not just to get to debt free, but to get to the point where working is optional, to get to the point where you have designed a future that you can get excited about. And there are elements in different books that I've seen that have offered little bits of that. But what I think our guests have done over the past two years is with their own story, show both the common threads and show how powerful these tactics are when implemented. And I thought, what Chris did, what he put the emphasis on was how can you take all of these different brilliant ideas and how can you make it more linear? I mean, obviously your path will diverge. It's a choose your own adventure, but there are common threads. And that if you put enough time into crafting it, you can very easily document a, a compelling story that when you read, you can't walk away from. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And and not for nothing, Jonathan, but the book is actually beautiful. Like it's really, you, you know me, I, I think you're probably sick and tired of me. What do you call it? The, about, the Barnes and Noble litmus test? <laughs> yes, I have my own Barnes and Noble lit, litmus test. And, and it's absolutely absurd. When I'm in Barnes and Noble, I mean, there are obviously tens upon tens of thousands of books. You literally have to judge it by its cover, as absurd <laughs> as that is. So I look for nice, colorful books. I look for when I flip through it, is it an attractive book that I actually want to read? And I mean, this thing passes the test with flying colors. And actually, Jonathan, the reason why is probably my favorite book is Dominic Cortuccio's Design Your Future. I told you the first time I read it, 
man, if we ever make a Chooseify book, I want it to look very similar to this. The art in it is gorgeous. It's laid out perfectly. It's a really nice book. And actually, since Dom is a buddy of mine, he put us in touch with Ellie, the designer of his book. And Ellie knocked it out of the park. I mean, when you see the way that it's laid out, it's a book that you want to turn the next page and see the next page. I mean, it's compelling. The information is compelling thanks to Chris. The actual graphic design is compelling thanks to what Ali actually put into it. It is a fun book to read. And again, man, it's one of these things that if you take action on these ideas, your 10-year future self is giving you standing applause for the direction that you have steered your life. And Brad, one of the early ideas that I remember pitching you on was that we could go on these kind of soapbox spiels, right? These things that we feel very strongly about, we could kind of take these 30 second or one minute monologues. In my case, it's usually a minute and a half monologues. <laughs> <laughs> and, and over the past two years, I think that we have had several of those and many of them, I think still have significant value. And so what we were able to do is work with Ellie to actually have graphical representations of these soapboxes put throughout the book so that those monologues could be captured for posterity. And so for our contributions to this book, not only do we have the episodes, which the book was heavily sourced from, but on top of that, we have our own kind of carve out spaces as it pertains to different sections where we can kind of document some of these, some of these monologues that we feel particularly passionate about. I just love how it came together. Yeah, it really came out perfectly. Obviously the book is written by Chris, but, but yeah, you and I are, are in there quite a bit with these soapboxes and, and yeah, it was fun, fun to see for sure. And yeah, if anybody's interested, you can check it out. Chooseify.com slash book. You can pre-order now and we have some uh, little incentives to pre-order before the uh, October 1st official launch date of the book. A couple other comments that I wanted to make on it. And this was uh, an article that Chris actually wrote at his website, caniretireyet.com. I will have a link to this article in the show notes for today's episode. But when he, he really went into some incredible detail on why he felt this book was important. And one of the biggest points that he made was making financial independence accessible. And he said, over the past year, the FIRE movement has gone mainstream. It's been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and many other media outlets. MarketWatch added a FIRE sub-tab to their retirement webpage along topics including estate planning, taxes, and social security. As FIRE, financial independence, retire early, gains attention, it becomes polarizing, Articles tend to focus on extreme and often irrelevant aspects of the stories of those featured. They often feature those who write about the topic. And as a result, there is a misconception that fire requires extreme frugality and or a massive income and no one really retires anyway. The perception is that we all just quit our original careers to make tons of money writing and talking about fire. And he makes the point completely lost is a simple fact. Changing the narrative that guides your life, then using this new framework to guide your future financial decisions makes financial independence achievable to virtually anyone who chooses to pursue it. And like as me and you talk about in the show it's not tied to your age. You know, it's not tied to whether or not you found this at 30 or 40 or 50. If you think about it in terms of just timeline, you don't have to deprive yourself or earn six figures or be an investment guru to transform your, your financial life. Yeah. It's not about age. It's not about income. It's not about being ultra frugal to the point of eating brown bananas or some insane stuff like that, that as Chris talks about, they talk about these little anecdotes in these articles and I get it, you know, from an, a writer's perspective, it's somewhat interesting. That's not the way that we in the FI community are living. We're living happy, intentional lives based on value, right? As we've talked about so many times, Jonathan, like I don't care if you spend $200,000 a year or $20,000 a year. It's not my place 
to say whether that's good, bad, or indifferent. It's, it's nothing. It's your decision. But what I ask you is to make decisions with eyes wide open and based on what you actually value in life, as opposed to just living this standard American, whatever it is, middle-class lifestyle script. That's not good enough for me. Just living this life just because that's how everybody else does it. So what we've talked about is stepping off the hamster wheel and making this a life that you choose based on intentionality. This article that Chris wrote is fantastic. I think it's a wonderful gateway to like the why of this book, which is why I'm spending so much time on it. The next point he makes is that we need to, as a society, unlearn old rules. What are those old rules? So just kind of working through it from a timeline scale, you know, as a young person, you know, you need to get into a good college and you know, you need to get a high paying job. You can borrow as much money as you want for it, right? We'll give you virtually unlimited student loans. This is good debt. It will always be a good decision. I think that our community has increasingly started to appreciate the fact that it's not that black or white. Then then what's the next narrative you get? Once you have this great job, then you should just save 10 to 15% of your salary and you can retire securely at the age of 65. Maybe just push it back till 70 or 80, right? There's no reason to to push that. What are you going to do? As soon as you retire, you're probably going to die. So don't don't worry about it. Never retire. That would be great. And then the remainder of your income, just spend it on your current lifestyle. The more you make, the more you can afford. There are rules out there created by an advertising agency for luxury jewelry telling you how much you should spend on a ring. There's a rule telling you how much house you could afford and you can find calculators to help you determine this. You know, I mean, you can afford that million, $2 million house. Just look at your gross monthly income. It's going to be great. And, and what we've seen as a community, when people question even just a few of those choices, it results in millions of dollars and decades of their life. Yeah, I love those rules for, I guess, an engagement ring. It's one or two months of your salary. Who came up with that, right? Or <laughs> Clearly not the barber, right? <laughs> yeah, right? What do you think? Should I get a haircut? Yeah, it looks a little long in the back. <laughs> but right, I mean, that's exactly it. Life is based on incentives, right? So does the mortgage broker or your real estate agent have an incentive to sell you the least house that you can actually comfortably live in? Or do they have an incentive to sell you the house that can make them the most money? That's not saying that there's some nefarious thing going on here. It's just incentives. And human beings, much of their actions are based off of incentives. So, I mean, this to me, it's just look at these rules and figure out what of what of them actually makes sense for you. Do you have to drive a brand new car because every upper middle class person drives a new car? No. I mean, look at my car, Jonathan. I'm, I'm literally looking at it out the window right now. And at this point, it doesn't look very nice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've gotten to that point. <laughs> But honestly, who cares? It gets me the two miles back and forth to my daughter's swim practice that I need to drive every day. That at this point is my driving. I drive to swimming and I drive to CrossFit and that is about it. Why do I need a car that looks beautiful and tells everybody my status as a, a wealthy person? Like, give me a break. Well, think about this, the, the tertiary cost, right? With your car, do you feel the need to get the ultra premium in insurance with every single bell and whistle? Right. Yeah. I thought you're not only no on that, but I thought you were going to ask if I've ever gotten the car washed or anything like that. Like, yeah, no, that's it. No, I was going to go there next. Do you feel the need to get the car washed every single week? Do you feel the need to get it buffed? Do you feel the need to get it cleaned? Do you feel the need to buy the premium headlights? Do you feel the need to use the premium gas? Do you like all? And now it's not just your car. It's everything, every single thing that you own. The more that you spend on that initial purchase, the more that you feel the need to insure it, the more that you feel the need to maintain it. 
everything that you purchase has secondary costs. The more that you feel the need to store it. Wow, I've got this incredibly expensive car. I can't let it sit out there on the side of the road. It could get dinged. I need to get private parking set aside for it. This is that cascading trickle-down effect that you don't realize. And so just realizing it, quite literally, just seeing anybody else that makes a different choice allows you to normalize the fact. Because if everybody gets the new car, everybody gets the private parking, everybody gets the whatever, you're the crazy person right? Why would I do anything different? This is just what you do. You've got to see one person break away and uh, Brad on a breakaway. No, and not only secondary actual costs, but psychological costs too, right? Of just owning expensive stuff or being worried about these, these things. If my car got hit tomorrow, as long as nobody gets hurt, I don't care one iota. Could you imagine if I had a $40,000 BMW and it got a little scratch on it? I would be flipping out. So compare those two items. I don't care one bit about this thing. All that I care about is the function of it. Does it get me from A to B? So that's kind of how I mentally approach. I know I'm kind of locking in here, Jonathan, on the car, but like that's how I mentally approach owning anything. Like, does it provide me value? And I mean, we've talked about things that sometimes are expensive. You actually turned me on to those uh, Bose noise-canceling headphones. That has made my life so much better If it broke tomorrow, I would buy a new pair on Amazon the very next day. It's not about being a penny pincher or a miser. It's just about looking for what do you get value out of in life. And there's a final point that he makes in this article. And and I just, my version of that, right, is that choosing Phi is simple, but it isn't easy, right? If you look at the average savings rate here in the United States, it's hovering around 5%. It's hard to choose to do something different when everybody around you, even the two income households are struggling to save money. Why are they struggling to save money? Because they're keeping up with the people next to them. So Chris makes the point, it is vital to create an alternative narrative to guide our lives. This is true for high earners, two-income households, and those without children who start with an easier path to fi. It's even more vital for low-income earners, one-income households, large families, single parents, minorities who face unique challenges, recovering addicts and others with past struggles, or those in high cost of living areas that make it seem more difficult. Just because it isn't easy doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it. It comes down to value. And I think that reclaiming your only non-renewable resource, your time, is it's worth it. It's worth it. And I think by highlighting the people in this community that are doing so and continuing to do that, right, that's the advantage of this book and the disadvantage. By having hindsight, Chris is able to structure this in a very linear fashion that's going to make it easy for someone to absorb who's never been exposed to financial independence before. The disadvantage is, right, it's not a living document. There have been so many stories since the book, since we kind of put the end cap on what we could cover in the book, there's been so many stories that aren't captured in there. What's amazing about that is you can see the common threads. As we capture new stories, new scenarios of people that have tackled this path to financial independence, their unique situation may have looked different. But there are common threads that tie it to the elements in the book. And nothing that we've covered since the book got finished to me said, wow, we just need to totally redo the book. The information is there. The question is, will you take action on it? And I hope if you've been listening to the show, you will consider putting your pre-order in. Just go to chooseify.com slash book. Now, one of the benefits of listening to this podcast is that we, over the next several years, are going to get a chance to uncover hundreds, if not thousands of individual stories and their unique path to fi that will hold value both for us personally and for our audience. And on today's show, we get the opportunity to uncover Lynn Frere's story. Now, our first, my first introduction to Lynn was actually in a Wall Street Journal article talking about her, a small subset of her path to financial independence. 
But when we got to get chance to go into her story a little bit more, her path to Phi is just incredible. Yeah, it really is. And I just can't wait to bring this story to the She's of I community. But first, Lynn, how did we get introduced? Was it, it was through our friend Marla, our mutual friend who uh, Marla has certainly been on the podcast talking about travel rewards many times. But are you longtime friends with Marla? Did you meet her at a Phi event? Talk me through that quick. I met Marla. She's amazing. It was a complete coincidence. I decided to leave traditional work at about the age of 37. And somebody at work compared me to Mr. Many Mustache. And I had no idea who he was. So I Googled to figure out who he was, who I was being compared to and found out about him and Camp Mustache. So I thought, well, I should go. That's how I met Marla. We roomed together. And she is incredible. I feel very lucky to have roomed with her. And I even told her, I said, Choose FI is my favorite podcast because we started talking about how she knew you guys. And she's uh, pretty awesome. That's how I got to know her. So what prompted this person to compare you to Mr. Money Mustache? So at 37, I had been in healthcare leadership and I was dropping down to a position where I was working 22 weeks a year. So I had about 29, almost 30 weeks off a year. So people naturally assumed in this high cost of living area of Seattle that my husband would be working more. And I let them know, actually, he'll be working less. We have two little girls. And that's what started the questions of how could that be possible? And so then I started telling people at work I had been investing since I was 12, because otherwise I had not really talked about it. So that's how the comparison got made. Then I discovered this whole world of people who are in a financial independence movement and have been doing a lot of the things that I've been doing for a long time. So it was an amazing discovery to find out and to connect with folks. Wow, Lynn, this is amazing. So, okay, there's a bunch in there. Investing since 12, I want to hear about. And also, like, how you got on this path. So 37 years old, you're going down to 22 weeks per year, but you had no idea that the FI community even existed. So you blazed your own path. You did this on your own. Talk me through this origin story, going back to 12, if you don't mind. And specifically investing at 12. You didn't say putting money in a bank sure. account in 12. You said investing at 12. No. <laughs> I was definitely investing at 12. So when I was young, I knew that I wanted to go to college and I had it in my mind that I was a very hard worker, but not terribly smart. I don't know where I got that idea. So I started reading about Einstein because I figured he's quite smart. So I should learn from him. So it feels like a Google search. Who is the smartest person? Einstein. Okay, done. <laughs> and let me build from that. Since I'm clearly, you know, not super smart. So I was learning a little bit of physics and compound interest. I wanted to go to college, so I figured I needed to help fund that because my parents were working really hard, but I had a feeling a lot of it would be on my shoulders. So I took a bus to a woman in business conference. I stood up and I said, I've got age on my side. What would you do if you were my age? And they said, invest in the stock market and start buying property young. And I wrote it down on my little notepad. I walked into the bank and I said, I'd like to start investing. And they promptly sent me home to get my dad because I was underage. And <laughs> so I went home to get my dad. He has no idea. He just, I always had little ideas that I would start. And, and so that's how I began with mutual funds at the age of 12, I also had a essay contest that I won on, on the national level and that afforded me a bond. And that's how I realized you can buy something in the present that in the future will be worth significantly more if you allow it to grow. And so those are some of the key concepts that I learned at that age. And I tried to convince my friends to also invest their babysitting money, but nobody really took me up on that. They are regretting that now a little bit. 
yeah, I can only imagine how they're regretting that. But put yourself in the shoes of a 12-year-old. I wonder what it was about you that that made you do this research, like on the presumably the Albert Einstein quote about compound interest being whatever it is, the most powerful force in the universe, and then going to this conference and standing up. Do you have any sense why you were open to that message? Whereas like you said, you tried to convince your friends, but 12-year-olds being 12-year-olds, obviously they weren't prepared to listen. We think about this, about how do you get the message of Phi across to people who are somewhere along their educational journey? Why were you open to that? You know, I've always been somebody who planned for the future. Since I was really, really young, I started putting sunblock on my skin because I didn't want to get wrinkles when I was nine-ish, you know? So I think when you're young, you don't have the concept of delayed gratification very closely wrapped up. I think that that comes with time and that comes with age often. And some people actually never get there because they can't overcome the delight of instant gratification. And our brains don't really fully develop in the frontal lobe until we're about 24. So I think there's some folks who inherently understand delayed gratification. And there's some folks who, with enough assistance and guidance, can get to that point. So I think there's a lot more people who, with a little guidance, would be able to understand that. I have all the neighbor kids in our neighborhood trying to work with us to babysit our kids because they want to do what we do. They see us out playing in the yard and the bouncy. We have an outdoor and indoor bouncy castles. So (laughs) they want to see, they want to have a life like that and they can actually visually see it. And so they're making up Uh, flyers and they want to, now they're spending some of it, of course, which they should, they need to enjoy their life, but they're also saving some of it and they're understanding because they're seeing modeling behavior. I think that's part of it. I think some people are intrinsically born with this ability and some people learn by watching others. I'm sure that I learned somewhere along the way that I'm not giving credit to somebody. I just know that I've always really thought about the future like a force of nature. Like I want to go back to the college years. So you said that I started investing in order because I knew that some of the college was going to be on my shoulders. How did college actually play out for you? I had actually worked for the Running Start program. It was kind of new at that point. And so I started a lot of college credits early. And so by the time I actually got to college, I had a fair amount of credits. I thought that I wanted to be pre-med. So I got a biology degree. I also took a lot of business classes because I figured whatever I go into business will be important. And then I was approaching the end of it and I still had all these credits left because I had double dipped everything and I had I had taken time off to study or to travel really for a year and a half. Then as I'm getting close to graduating, I do a cost benefit analysis of becoming a physician and it's actually wasn't what I was looking for. The foregone income, the opportunity cost, the cost of education, it wasn't the life that I wanted to design. And so I actually decided not to go to medical school. I was all geared up for the MCATs because I have a profound interest in healthcare and thought that would be the right course. So I decided to actually work for a pharmacy. I became in pharmacy leadership, not as a pharmacist, but under the retail portion, and then kind of figure out what I wanted. And becoming a nurse has a great return on investment. It's fantastic. And I think it's going to be growing even further. It's one of the professions least likely to be taken over by artificial intelligence. And it's looking at our population and demographics. It's got great potential. So that's why I decided nursing. I mean, 
not art, the artificial intelligence part, but why did you become a nurse? Well, clearly artificial intelligence was a driving factor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, if I'm truthful, I wasn't thinking about artificial intelligence back then. I was thinking about the population growth and um, my love for healthcare, my interest in being directly with people, my interest in how the entire human body works and how everything's interconnected. So I became a nurse. I was an ICU nurse, actually, right out of college. I went to the the director of the ICU and I said, I'm going to be graduating in about a year. I know you don't usually hire new grads. If you give me a list of things to do, I will do it and I'll come back to you. And she gave me a big list of things to do. And a year later, I came back to her and I said, I have done all these things and I would really love it if you'd consider me for the position. And so they hired me and they gave me a daytime job in the ICU right away, which is crazy. Wow, Lynn, so, okay, I've got to stop here for a second. That's really incredible. So a year before your graduation, you went to, I guess, the, the director of this ICU and basically said, how do I get a job here? That doesn't normally happen. I wonder if she had ever had someone in schooling approach her in that manner. That must have just blown her away. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of a connection because, first of all, she's an incredible person, but. We had a little bit of a connection because she had gone to the same college that I had gone to, which actually was a community college. And we find in nursing, community college graduates are often given a lot of hands-on skills rather than theoretical. And so I think the connection that uh, she knew a lot of the teachers that I had, and I don't know if they talked to her about me as a student. I can't recall the details of that, but I, I truly believe that connection and that honesty and that I will do whatever you say, you know, would be important for this role in preparation. And then I actually did it, spoke volumes to her. All right. I have to sidebar this just for a second, Brad. I know you're thinking this, but it ties so closely to that segment that we talked about last week and the week before with Chris Hutchins, how to get any job. And my sidebar for my sidebar is that Alice and I have like an ongoing back and forth conversation. She leaves a comment on the episode. I read the comment and reply to it on the next episode. And I want to repeat that process again today. <laughs> so Alice heard our, um, our feedback on last week's episode. And she left us this comment on episode 123R and she said, you know, thanks for, thanks for the feedback. I agree with the find people at a company who might know a friend of a friend and research the company points. Those are solid standard suggestions that go back to what color is your parachute to add to the examples given for younger workers in the tech field. I'd still love to hear some case studies about how the strategies work in more traditional business markets with people who are further along in your careers. Now, I don't mean my criticisms to be evidence of limiting beliefs. I'm just interested in hearing about a wider population than the speaker addressed. Thanks for all you do. Love it, Alice. And anytime from here on out for the rest of time, whenever somebody gives us an example of how they got a job, not through an application portal, I'm going to reference you and reference this comment. And so this is it, right? No, but this is it. This is how to get any job. You're like, well, oh, well, she went and she found somebody and made a connection and said, what could I do to be qualified? They told her and then she did it, right? That That's it. Yeah, that is amazing. And, and I'm laughing kind of uh, half-heartedly here. Like that, that's so cool. I think that'll be great to bring Alice in as a recurring character here. Every single time we learn one of these hacks that can get people jobs that like you normally wouldn't think of who in nursing school is going to the ICU and saying, how do I get that job a year plus from now? Most people 
they follow the script, Jonathan. That's what we talk about here at Chooseify all the time. We talked about earlier in this episode. You follow the script of American life, and that's not part of it. So just think a little bit differently. And as I said in the episode last week, it's looking for these places that cause you in your life to think differently, and you almost can't unsee what you've seen. I talked about the shockingly simple math article, J.L. Collins, that Chris Hutchins episode. And like, this is really cool that Lynn did this on her own without anybody telling her how to do this. She stepped up and said, what do I have to do to get this job that I want? And, and Lynn, talk me through the, the daytime ICU. I know you, you specifically locked down on that. What was it about daytime ICU that really is so special? You know, the ICU to me meant the most intensive, the most skilled type of nursing care where you could provide care for somebody who, I mean, their life really depended on the care that was provided. And if I could learn those skills, if I could learn from those incredibly bright and skilled nurses and clinicians, then I felt that was the the most wonderful position you could possibly have. And I didn't see any reason to go down another path to bide my time. Now, if the hiring manager had decided, you know, this is just isn't a good fit. She's done all these things and it's still, she's just too new. I mean, I trusted her instinct to make that decision is, was I capable? And what ended up happening out of that is I helped design a program for getting new graduates into the ICU and how that can look and the skills checklist, because it's very different than, because you're learning nursing and you're learning the ICU and you're learning critical care. You're learning all of that at the same time. And so it's very, very important to have skills learned very quickly and very thoroughly at the same time. So I started in the ICU and while I'm working in the ICU, I start stumbling a little bit. I'm starting to lose my hearing a little bit. And so naturally, I think, you know, I'm 27. Naturally, I think, well, I've had a, a stroke or something. I go to the doctor and they disregard it for a little while because I'd been training for a triathlon. So they thought I had swimmer's ear. Many months pass. And I actually, after Hurricane Katrina, I went down to help after that, after the evacuation to the Houston Astrodome. I fly back from that visit and my ear won't unclog. And so again, I go to a different doctor, they do a scan and they find this brain tumor. So I have the brain tumor removed. I have to learn how to walk again, um, not because I'm weak, but because my balance is like I'm walking on a rocky ship all the time. And then after a few months, I go back to working in the ICU, which is kind of crazy to think about, but quickly realized that wasn't going to work. So Lynn, I don't want to just breeze right by that. Obviously having a brain tumor is not just a ambulatory care event, right? Hey, in and out, take this, you're good to go. That's a pretty serious medical procedure to have, especially if you're talking about having it removed. I'm curious both what impact did this have on your family, but also, you know, for your finances, you've been investing since the age of 12 with the intentionality that sounds like you've had in all these other aspects of your life. I would imagine you're pretty well on your path to financial independence, even if you don't know that terminology at this point. Yeah, we were doing well. I'm, I've never been a huge fan of debt. It, it's always kind of bothered me. So we were financially doing quite well. And the event of the brain tumor completely wiped us out. We were, again, starting from zero, my husband and I, and had to rebuild from there. So you said the ICU, you just couldn't do that anymore. What actions did you guys take? Like, how did you proceed from there? After the brain tumor, 
I still wanted to work as a nurse and, you know, I was cognitively able to and everything. I just needed something that had shorter shifts, perhaps the shifts I had been working were 12 hours. Uh, So I found some work that was basically an administrative side in home health and then eventually in hospice. And I think I was drawn to hospice because hospice looks at the entire care of the person. It looks at not just one organ, but it looks at how do you care for this human being and their family in the context of an end-of-life diagnosis? How do you make the best possible quality of life? And I have always been about how do you live the best possible quality of life? And hospice does that really well at the end of life. So I became drawn to that uh, and started working in hospice. I became their charge nurse. Then I became a manager. And then they promoted me to the the person who ran the facility with 55 direct reports and total operations management. And this ties into perhaps some of your other podcast episodes. Nobody knew me when I got this promotion. Nobody knew me in this facility. Their manager had left. And I don't know if they thought they could trust me or not. But because when I worked in the ICU, apparently I was very kind to this woman who was a custodian. And she now worked at the facility that I now managed. She was able to say, hey, I know this girl. When she was a new nurse, she was one of the most kind people. You know, I think we can trust her. So uh, I think that honestly helps when you just go along life and you're truly genuine and you're kind to people, you never really know how that pays itself forward in the future. My dad was a custodian and he taught me to treat everybody. You don't know how smart they are. You don't, you know, they do the hard work that none of us want to do. And we should really respect that custodians and people in any profession. Yeah, Lynn, I definitely have like chills, honestly, just hearing you say that because that is exactly in line with how I live my life. And I mean, so many people, they just go through life and they, I don't know, they, they're just needlessly mean to people or they just like want to get their anger out or get their point across. And they don't think about the human being across that phone from them or across the table from them or whatever it may be. I don't understand what you think you're getting, even just from a strategic standpoint. What's the best way to have a successful life? Going around being mean to people makes no sense. So just from a human perspective, I want to treat everybody with care and respect. And you never know what amazing conversation you're going to have with someone or what amazing relationship you might have with them down the road. And and your example is the perfect one. Brad, I feel like that was a soapbox, man. Maybe we should get that included (laughs) in the second edition of the book. Yeah, really. (laughs) No, but it's so true, right? Like, I mean, how many times have we seen that across the episodes? Just being a nice human being, it just, it pays dividends. Oh, and you tied it back to finance. All right. Well done. All right. (laughs) Pretty good at this. Lynn, uh, I actually want to go a little bit more tactical here. I mean, if you're starting back at essentially zero at the age of 29, and I know the end of this story is that you and your husband basically had the option to work by the age of 37. Like, how do you get from here to there? I did a lot of the things that people talk about in the FI community. Uh, When we had debt, we would use credit card balance transfer options. I don't necessarily recommend this for everybody, but I had a very high credit score. I knew that I could manage my finances well. So I would actually put some of my home equity on credit cards. And at that time, they didn't charge the 3%, 4% transfer fees that they do now. So I essentially had part of my mortgage on 0%. 
because I had such a high credit score. I don't know what it was then. Now it's in the 820s or 830s, um, but it was probably somewhere in the upper 700s. So I would get all these offers. Now that's pretty high risk for a lot of people, not necessarily something I would recommend, but that is part of, of what happened. We lived under our means, certainly. I never thought about what my savings rate was, but I knew that I didn't like debt. For a while there, my sister lived with us as a rental. We negotiated kind of a balance where I wanted $50 more than she wanted to pay. And so we considered a rebate situation. It actually worked really well for both of us. So I guess you might call that in a way house hacking or something. Can I I just clarify, is that like an incentive thing where, hey, you're a good roommate at the end of the month, you get your 50 bucks back. (laughs) Yeah, she wanted to pay 500 and I thought 550 was the market rate. It was actually 600 was the market rate, but she didn't agree with that. So I said, hey, how about you pay 550 and at the end of the time with us, I will give you that $50 difference all back. From a cash flow perspective, that made a lot of sense for us. And for her, that was a win as well. So I think that in a lot of situations, in a lot of settings, there are many win-win scenarios because you don't want people to be feel like they're being taken advantage of. That's quickly figured out and not good for anybody. All right, Lynn. So, I, I mean, I get there a lot of these, the, the tactics, right? House hacking is a, is a huge one. But realistically, you're talking about from 29 to 37, eight years, and you live in a high cost of living area, right? You live in the, the Seattle, mm-hmm. Washington area. How do you do this? Was it just a huge savings rate? I know you said you didn't track it. Was it high income and savings? Talk me through what this looked like for you. Yeah. So my husband's a chef. He is incredible. His income is not super high and I'm a nurse and our incomes, they're pretty good. They're below the median for the area, but we had a very high savings rate and I considered it debt reduction. You know, I never considered it savings rate. I don't actually invest in any bonds. I invest in stocks, basically index funds or mutual funds that have a low cost of ownership and low expense ratios. So I aggressively invested with the idea that, you know, if this doesn't work out, then that's okay. And, but but I have a decent time horizon. And if it works out really well, then I'm in a good position. And if the market is with us, then I'm, we're in a really good position. So statistically, a lot of markets recover within four years. And so if I'm starting this in my late twenties again, then I still have some time to recover, even if we get a big dip and we did have a big dip and everybody was selling in 2007, 2008, 2009. And I just tried not to look at it. And I kept contributing and I didn't pull anything out. In fact, I probably went in because I was now afraid I had this horrible diagnosis. I didn't know what was going to be the future for us, honestly. When would we need that? How much would we need in the future? So I think by plowing things into the stock market via index funds that don't scrape money off the top each year, like a lot of investments, That is what really catapulted us. And also, we moved at a time, so we were up in Everett, which is north of of Seattle, and then we moved to an area closer in to reduce commuting costs. And we bought at a time where the interest rates were historically the lowest they have ever been um, in October, November 2012. And I don't advocate for timing the market, but that time leads us to basically our life just costs I don't know, a half or a third of what everybody else's around us costs. So when you combine all of those factors together and lots of little tweaks here and there, our life looks very much like those around us, but it just costs significantly less. 
<laughs> this is so amazing. You know, Brad, I feel like we have to do a hot seat for this. Let's do it. All right. Len, on most shows, that would be the end of the episode. On most Friday roundups, that would absolutely be the end of the episode. But on this show, we would love to give you the chance to tackle the hot seat. Are you ready for this? I'm totally ready. In a world drowning in debt and rampant consumption, trapped by the chains of lifestyle inflation, these questions highlight the secrets of those who have broken free. Welcome to the Choose FI Hot Seat. All right, Lynn, question number one, your favorite blog that's not your own. So this is always morphing. Um, Right now, I just, I love Paula Pant. She is masterful. I think, Brad, you used that word or maybe Jonathan at one point, but that's a really good description of her. She's just a masterful educator, podcaster, writer. She talks about investing in financial independence. People know her a lot for real estate. um, And that's just one arm of what she knows and what she does. She's just an excellent intellectual. And I learn a lot from her. Masterful sounds like a Brad word. I like the word unpack. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, Paula is awesome. You can really unpack her mastery. (laughs) With these powers combined. Uh, (laughs) All right. Question number two, your favorite article of all time. Now this can be one that you wrote so we could reference a wall street journal article or another. Yeah. So my favorite article is one that I think Grant Sabatier recommended on your podcast. It's about the 20 brutal truths about life that no one wants to admit. And it's kind of scary, but it's also really motivating. And I find a lot of truths in there from being a hospice nurse. I got a glimpse of what the end of life looks like and what you end up valuing and what you need to let go of. And it's a really beautiful article. I also wanted to mention, so I started a website recently and I was pretty adamant I was not going to start a blog, but then I started writing about something that I got really passionate about. So I may be starting a blog and the title is going to be something like how I got arrested by the retirement police. And (laughs) it's going to be, uh, it's almost done actually. So I think that's going to be kind of a fun article for the community to read because it details the steps about how I got arrested by the the retirement police. (laughs) That sounds fantastic. All right, Lynn, question number three, your favorite life hack. My favorite life hack for parents, I guess even non-parents, is to have an indoor bouncy castle. (laughs) An indoor, specifically an indoor bouncy castle. Well, ours can go indoor or outdoor, but ours is indoor and It actually, the Wall Street Journal tried to photograph it. I wish they would have put it in there. That would have been fun. But we live in kind of a rainy area. You may have heard about Seattle. It is a lot of entertainment for, I would say, $200 or so. Um, And there's a trick about bouncy castles is they come apart at the seams. But what you do is you just take two minutes, you sew it up with dental floss, which is one of the strongest threads. And because it's waxed, it sews very nicely. And then it is lasts for years. So people often get rid of their bouncy castles, but they're perfectly fine. They just need a little dental floss. And it is hours and hours of entertainment, birthday parties. It's fantastic. Maybe your second blog article post can be on how one is supposed to take their dental floss and repair a bouncy castle with it. <laughs> just, just a suggestion for moms everywhere. You know, my son just turned two and our friends actually loaned us their outdoor bouncy castle. Probably not as cool as an indoor bouncy castle, but it was so entertaining and he had a great time. Question number four, your biggest financial mistake. I would say 
I went to a private college to get my pre-med degree. I essentially did not use that degree, and it was about a $100,000 degree. I ended up with about $36,000 of loans at the end of it, and there were things that I learned from it, but from a financial standpoint, it was sort of a financial hit that I could have fast-forwarded through, but that's not to say that I didn't learn from the situation have wonderful experiences along the way. All right, Lynn, question number five, the advice you would give your younger self. I would give the same advice to my younger self as my older self is that sometimes I just need to relax. Like I'm doing, you know, 80, 90% of things right. And sometimes I get a little tied up in the 10 to 20% of things that I don't do right. While that's okay, that's ambitious, but you need to sometimes relax and enjoy where you are now. I was talking with Vicki Robin, gosh, last week, and she said, Lynn, pause to appreciate what you have. And I do in some ways, but I also keep looking at the future. I have to remind myself of that all of the time to just enjoy now, appreciate now, look at the future, but appreciate the now. All right. Now we do have a bonus question for you. What purchase have you made over the past 12 months that brings the most value to your life? I'm going to go with the indoor bouncy castle. Life hack, great purchase, all of the above. Yeah, yeah. The Bouncy Castle doubles as life hack and favorite purchase. All right, noted. I'll have a link for your particular one if you send it over to me because I don't know how to how to determine whether or not it qualifies as an indoor and outdoor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lynn, yeah. thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Your story is incredible. And a real quick question for you. I know you said you are thinking or, or have started a blog. What is the best way for people that want to find out more? What is the best way for them to connect with you? Right. Yeah. I sort of accidentally starting a website because I had, by the time I left work, I had 65 people who wanted to work with me about their personal finances. So I've started www.nursenumbers.com. That was my nickname. People can connect with me there. I am going to start a blog. I don't want to commit to the frequency or anything, but I have a whole list of free resources that I'm gathering of places that I think that would be a value to folks, books to read, excellent resources. I will be developing a one-on-one for folks who want to kind of tweak their own lives, um, but that's still really in the, the development phase right now. So yeah, that's how people can find me. Well, maybe once you're completely live, we can circle back with you and find out what's going on. But we so we are so appreciative of you coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks, Brad and Jonathan. It's been so fun. You know, Brad, we don't normally do uh, hot seats on the Friday roundup, but Lynn's story is so incredible. I mean, she's like a force multiplier. And what strikes me is one, her story started out with a 12 year old that didn't think she was smart. And then two, that there are probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that have followed a somewhat similar path and think that they're doing this alone, think that they're doing it in a vacuum, that they're the quote unquote crazy one. And they're not. There's a community of people that are driving towards this outcome. And when we realize that and we form actual communities, it will change the world. Yeah. And that's not hyperbole. It will change the world because people hear these stories and they know that they can do it too. Even someone like Lynn with that ridiculous limiting belief when she was 12 years old about not being smart. But yet this is the person who's researching Albert Einstein quotes about compound interests and starting to invest at 12 years old. Man, if she can do it, then why can't your kids invest at 12? Why couldn't you put on just that little snippet for your kids hearing how Lynn learned how to invest and had all this money saved up by the time she was in her early 20s? That's just such a cool story. 
And yeah, I mean, it's it's our goal, Jonathan, yours and mine, to bring these stories to the Fi community and to the world. I want to make our following Monday episode a roundup for this Friday roundup. That's how many actionable takeaways there are here. (laughs) So freaking fun. All right, Brad, let's go ahead and spend a couple of minutes and do some shout outs. Now, South Florida is having a a beach dog party on May 4th, paddleboarding kayaking day on May 18th, and a billiards day on 616. South Florida, blowing up. There's a couple of new Facebook groups, a new one in Australia. I tell you, Brad, in the last several weeks, I've seen more groups start in Australia, a Southern Moreton Bay Islands group, and then there's also a new group in Southeast Ohio. So pretty cool stuff going on in the community. For our calls to action this week, guys, two things. One, if you haven't done this yet, go to chooseify.com slash compare. Just spot check and make sure that you're getting the best price on your auto insurance. And then two, and we'll be referencing this one for honestly the next several months, the pre-order just went live for our new book, Chooseify your blueprint to financial independence. And I can't even begin to express to you how appreciative we would be if you would put in a pre-order for that book. It would be a wonderful way that you could support us and this show. To do that, just go to chooseify.com slash book. Okay, unfortunately, that's gonna bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. There's, ha <laughs> dude, there's three books that we offer. And Brad, I'm wondering, we may need to change that soon. We could also do, you could get a pre-order for our book as well. We'll have to work through the wording on that, but I think that's definitely viable. Okay, there, there's three, maybe four books that we offer. The first is J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. And the third book, Vincent Puglisi, Freelance to Freedom. Obviously, the fourth book would be our book. But if, we, if you request that, uh, you are going to have to wait for the official release Uh, when that goes live. So you would be getting that in advance. But to enter the drawing, all you need to do, just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, leave us a short written review, send us an email for feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce the winner on the Friday Roundup. And Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have one winner today, and the winner is Greg. And Greg said, I'm not the type of guy that normally leaves reviews, but what Jonathan and Brad are doing has inspired me to leave my first one. What these guys are doing is a game changer. As a father to two boys and a husband to a stay-at-home mom, the future I saw for myself was working well into my later years. However, the content presented on this podcast has expanded my horizons. I love the format of the show and appreciate the tips and advice offered. I've only been listening for about a month now, but I can already see the trajectory of my financial future changing. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.